Hello everyone and welcome to Whiny Mondays, where we, Karen and Aaron, also known as the Traveling Fars, take your questions and concerns about living expat and give you our perspectives in order to give you some of the information that we have picked up along the way that we would have liked to have had prior to becoming expats. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Oh, grab some wine. This is going to be fun. Whiny Monday. All right, Karen, what you got for us on Whiny Monday? Well, well, of course I'm chewing. Mm-hmm. I'm Whiny Monday. <laughs> Whiny Monday. I was recently asked if we had a blog, and I told her no. Told them no, but that. We do podcasts, and if there was a topic that they would like to, you know, us to discuss, that we'd be happy to add it to our list. So one of the things that was asked was, how did we decide to leave our home country and do what we do? So I thought maybe we could discuss that a bit. How did we decide? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, not the story of how we left the United States. That's not what you're talking about. Well, I think it, some of that is included, but what pushed us to make the decision that we were going to leave the U.S. and live and work outside of the country? Money. Well, was it money or the lack of money? It was the lack of money. It was the lack of being able to find a job in Michigan in 2010. You know, I mean, we were, we were trying not to be ridiculously upside down in our house. And I mean, that's what was going on at the time. People were losing their homes. Right, the housing market crashed in 2008 when the banks failed. I mean, we we had been in a depression in Michigan for years up to that point. I mean, uh, so I guess I was substitute teaching and wanted to teach English and students in America don't like English class very much. Uh, Much like students, I guess, in other countries don't like their native language class. Um, And we just, I think we just decided, we just said what would be another cool place to live or where, where would we like to go? Right, why are we still here? We can't find jobs. But it was, let's try a new thing, I guess, or 
change our paradigm. That that's kind of what that's kind of all we did. I mean, it wasn't. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it seem like we didn't have a lot of thought. There was a lot of conversation and exploration and involving the kids and what they wanted and places that they were interested in. But for the most part, it was just let's do a. Let's go to a different place and do a different thing because staying here did not seem healthy or tenable. Right. Right. We had you had applied for jobs all over the country. And because the economy was so bad, there just weren't jobs to be had. And we had friends with masters and PhDs who couldn't find jobs. <clears throat> right. I mean, it was... It was... It gave us a good reason to look other places. What was going on in the country made us have to look outside of the country just to find a place where you could work and live. And then we started our research. So what did the person want to know about? Well, they wanted to know... How, why, what pushed us to make the decision and how we chose where we were going to live. And another question was, how did we deal with uh, pushback from our families about leaving the country? Okay, honestly, I don't think pushback was an issue because in dealing with my family, that they pushed back on almost every decision I ever made. So basically you just decided to do a thing, whatever it happened to be, and then you made it work for yourself once you got there. So that was never, I mean, it was never an issue for me that somebody, anybody in my family would say, oh, well, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't leave, or oh, the kids are so young, or oh... You know, once we decided to go to China, don't go to China. Because none of them had any real reason why not. Right. They never had a good reason that we shouldn't do the thing. They just said, don't do the thing. But if I would have said, oh, we should go and, say, move to Muskegon from Grand Rapids, they would have said, don't do that, too. Right. So... Basically, I, that 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 really was not in my calculus at all. It was more for me. It was more what's going to be best. What what do the children want to do? What do you want to do? What did I want to do? And then how do we make that happen? Right. Because unlike a lot of parents, we involve the children in choosing the country and we involve them in discussions about leaving the states and okay you're saying involve that's not really honest we didn't involve they chose they did choose so so what we did was we asked the children at the time they were six and eight we asked them where do you want to live you can choose anywhere in the world where do you want to live and of course, a six and eight year old have no 
global context. So I took them to the public library. We got, you know, 12 or 14 books. We spent two weeks of reading the books and making note cards about things they thought were cool or interesting about the countries. And then at the end of the two weeks, I had them each choose their favorite country. Our son was eight and he chose Monaco, <laughs> which still makes me laugh. Um, and he chose it because the king walked among the people. Um, and then our six-year-old daughter chose China. And the reason she chose China was because it was a lunar society and because she read in one of the books that the babies don't wear diapers and she wanted to see that in person. <laughs> and so... <laughs> until she got here. Right, until she got here. Um, so we said, okay, China it is. And I started searching for jobs for China immediately. And within a few months, we had a job offer that included both of us, not just one, but both of us would be teachers because I was a preschool teacher in Michigan. So it was nice that both of us would be able to work and the children would be able to experience a new culture. So really, our daughter chose where we were. I think you're leaving out the most important reason for us to leave. Which was? Karate Kid. <laughs> you yeah. are leaving out the karate. number one most important reason was Karate Kid. Jaden Smith and Jackie and Chan. And how cool it looked and the places and yeah. where they went and learning to use chopsticks with Poe and Kung, Kung Fu, Fu Panda. Panda. <laughs> All of these things. Uh, didn't we at some point in there watch the Olympics from China in the States? Yes, I yeah, think, I we, think did. we did. So there was a whole lot of China going on at that particular moment yeah. in time. Uh, like I said, Kung Fu Panda, Karate Kid, um, and the Olympics. So that, I think, had a lot to do with their choices. And once we chose, then they had to learn more about the culture. Well, and Keek, she even chose to have her birthday party a Chinese theme mm -hmm. so we had the local Chinese food restaurant basically cater her birthday party because she was all about China I wonder if she still feels like that six years later wait we're not going to talk about the list <laughs> that's for another that's for another recording we'll do that later talking about the list uh, but, so that's why we got here. That's, that's, that's how and why we got here to China. Um, but that's also the same reason why we went to Thailand. Yeah. Was the kids wanted to move there after living in China for a year. Two years. Well, we had only been there a year. We had been here a yeah. year. We had been there and, a year. And they... They went to Phuket and saw a, a radical difference between northeastern China, Finchi, 
and Phuket, Thailand. And they did not want to leave. They wanted they wanted to stay. So To be fair, we both wanted to stay as well. Beautiful oh no no. I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that we didn't agree. I'm just saying that they it was their decision based on what they had seen around them and the environment. Benchy being a cold town, being very cold. Um, well, small town feel by Chinese standards. I mean, honestly, Phuket's a pretty small town. Yeah, there um, are less people in the entire island of Phuket than there was in the city of Benchy. Exactly. So, if you're wondering, like, why did we do um, the first move to China? Kids chose China. The second move to Phuket, Thailand. Kids chose Phuket. The move back to China. Electronics. Yeah, Apple yeah. made the decision for us. <laughs> it was the need to, to upgrade our electronics and to be able to make a paycheck that that was that was worth something because in Phuket uh, it was very difficult to to make any any money and to save so I mean that's that's the re those are the reasons why um, for us now the question is especially beginning this school year the question now becomes do we stay or do we go based on what we've based on our uh, our lists yeah our lists um so, all right. So, what other, what else do people want to know about on Whining Monday? I haven't started whining yet. I am drinking wine, though. Um, another question that was asked was, how do we deal with the children when they start saying they want to go home? I, I, I don't have a, a thing for that. Basically, when we left the United States. We sold pretty much everything. That's house, cars. Motorcycles. Poor little motorcycles. And uh, all we have in the United States is a storage unit. So for our children um, to, to say, hey, we're, we, we wanna leave, there was really not a place for us to go. That didn't stop our daughter, though. Our seven-year-old wanted to go home for the first year. She said daily, I just want to go home. Now, she is very introverted. She, she doesn't like to be touched. And we were in a position where we were one, four of the ten foreigners in a city of 1.9 million people. And when people saw this child with long curly hair and big brown eyes and pale skin they wanted to touch her they wanted to talk to her they wanted to take pictures with her and that was really difficult for her she's not she's now much better than she was but she still doesn't like it but for the first year every day was mommy i want to go home and it wasn't until she was i don't know about eight eight and a half where she really just got it. I said to her one day, there's no, there is no other option right now. 
this is where we live. We don't have a home in the U.S. This, your family is here. And for some reason it clicked with her that day and she stopped saying it. Now if you ask them, six years later, neither one of them want to live there. <laughs> Even though they're there right, right they're now. They're there right this minute. They're and they there. they want to leave. And they have wanted to leave for about six weeks. So, yes, that's true. But I mean, they they were <clears throat> they were young enough to come to a new place, and I would say create a new way of living for themselves without us having to interfere. So they were they they learned how to do things that they really had never really done before. So they learned how to stay at home on their own. They learned how to do their schoolwork on their own. They learned how to cook dishes and prepare things for themselves um, to eat while we were, say, gone, especially on the weekends. Um, they were able to, they learned how to, you know, get themselves ready, go to the store, all of these uh Things that they probably never wouldn't have done in the states at that age. Right. They wouldn't have had a reason to do it at their at that age. Um, I don't even think there was a store close to us for them to even go to where we lived. Was so, there that little store where? Remember the day Aaron came home and said, "Look, mommy, I bought daddy a present," and he had the beer. No, no, no. I'm talking about <laughs> in the states. Oh no. I don't think there was a place for them mm. to even have had that experience. So. They, like like you said, they were able to buy you know buy things, go to the store. You could look out the window, old school, look out the window and see them Locked walking in. down the yep. street. Okay, so there's certain things that they, they learned how to do and they became very comfortable. The city was small enough that you really did not have to worry. Um, you could send them down eight floors and have the expectation that they were going to be okay walking from where we live to the store and walking back and and even the people that may not know our names would actually look out for them. I mean, they, they kind of... Yeah. They knew I, who they were. They knew they were the foreigners and... and they knew right where we lived yeah, and they, they, who we worked for. So, I mean, there was that small town-ness that small town feeling the I think that ability to decide what their life was going to be like from then on and having that type of control over themselves I think that eased some of those pressures because well they didn't have to worry about going to school right they could work at their own pace in whatever we had them doing. We could give them all kinds of different things to do, and we brought them to the school. Yeah, so they so, had socialization. There was lots of stuff that we did, plus we had them, you know, we, we ate out, uh, what? Three, two, four nights three or a week. four nights a week with different people and, you know, on our on own. Our own. Um, so they it was probably to- the most... The place that we lived, where we did the most inside of the community, yeah, was Benchy. Yep, because when I went back last summer for a visit, 
I saw people on the street and they would say, oh, hi, how are you? How are the children? How's your husband? Are you moving back? And these are people I hadn't seen in years, but they remembered me, they remembered the children, they remembered you know, my husband, they knew where we worked and they, they were hoping we were coming back. And I had this over and over and over for three days, no matter where we went, there was someone who knew us and were excited to see us. But if we went back to any of the old cities where we've lived since, I bet you there wouldn't be one person. No, that's not true. Because we have Aaron's girlfriend in, in oh, Phuket. Oh, yeah, and yeah, the fruit lady in Phuket, which she would fall over for him. Yep. Uh, we we tend uh, one of the one of the strategies that we that I think I learned from my uncle uh, going to a new place, uh, any new place, and this could be in the states or anywhere, um, but also uh, being overseas and going going uh, say shopping or going to the market. Because a lot of times you're gonna deal with more uh, fresh air, fresh fruit, fresh vegetable markets, even for your for your meat and your seafood living in this environment, then you're going to go to markets. You're not going to go to supermarkets because they're gonna be ridiculously expensive for less quality. Yeah, the food's older and... Right, and it's packaged and it's just not good. So you're going to go to a market and if you can find a place that has good quality, the prices are going to seem high when you first start, but then they're going to come down the more often that you, you see them and then they will begin to prefer you because you go there all the time. Being vegan, I'm going to, the, to <coughs> get vegetables, say in Thailand, almost every other day um in benchy we would go uh three four times a week downstairs to the morning market yeah um and when he says downstairs it's literally right at the bottom of our building right there was a morning market that was on the walking street and you 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 could go down and get literally from Everything. the head of the pig to the foot of the, the, pig. <laughs> the all the fish that were laying on the sidewalk to all your fruits and vegetables, Don't forget uh, the nuts, snakes. everything. So you you, I mean, if you can go to the same place, then those people will take care of you. Mm. They will look out for you. You don't have enough money that day. Don't worry, it's not a big deal. They won't even ask you for it. You try to pay for it later, they won't even take it. So, I mean, there's there's that camaraderie. So people like that will remember probably us and the kids from, you know, we would go and we took them. They went all the time. It was uh, to, get, to get food. Now, when we came back to China, we would usually because of our work schedules, get vegetables and stuff on the way back home every evening. Um, there was no reason to get a lot. There was no real storage. So you basically just kind of grab what you were gonna make for dinner and, and stuff for the next day. And then you were back just grabbing it on the way back home every day. But here in uh, Foshan, um, the kids have the opportunity to do all of the the shopping themselves because they can basically walk 
just outside of the gate of our apartment complex and do all the shopping. Everything that we need. Which is important for them to learn. And they they didn't realize until they went for their stateside visit how much independence they actually have. But that's purely by design. We want them to be comfortable being in different environments and being independent and being resourceful. Oh, we are all about sink or swim. Well. Oh, yeah. We, we throw our kids into stuff. We kind of do. I mean, there might be a there might be there might be a lifeguard on duty, but right. they are they are sink or swim because we can stick we can stand here on our balcony and watch them walk all the way to the front gate. Yeah. And and you know if there was a problem, we could almost see them. And they're big enough now that that's not really an issue because uh, Aaron is probably double the size of every Chinese person he walks across here in southern China. <laughs> yes. Maybe three times the size. So, you know, I, I don't worry, I'm not really worried about their safety, so to speak. I've never been worried about their safety in China. Never. Thailand was a different situation. I'm worried about their safety when they would be outside and I couldn't see them. Even though they were bigger people, Thailand has, you know, the whole human trafficking issue and so I worry. But in China, I have never worried about them the way I do. I did in the States and the way I did in Thailand. Yeah, I don't, I don't worry about them now. I mean, and that's, I guess that's another thing that we do now is you're sending them with technology that they, and they, you know, they've got their shared cell phone. And because they don't need a cell phone, I don't know why they want to give, why Americans think giving every child a cell phone is a good idea when everywhere the child goes, there's a phone. But, well, I, but can, I can see it. But for our kids, they're usually together. Yes, they are. Almost Because always. they're together, they don't really need... Uh, and, and remember, our, our kids are not calling anybody. Right. So, they need, a cell phone is irrelevant. They they need to be able. It's really just an emergency phone, an old one of our old phones. It's an emergency phone so that they can call us and say, you know, oh my God, what did you write on this paper? Oh, that's broccoli. Thank you, and you get off the phone. Yeah. So, I I. It is a good strategy to be able to, to give this, the kids basically your old cell phone so that they can make phone calls back to you, depending on their age. But if we were in Benchi, we wouldn't have done cell phone. Oh, they had a phone in Benchi because I would have to call them and say... Well, but they also, we also had a house phone, though. So we yeah. could call the house phone because that's where they were. But if they were downstairs... Because sometimes they would go downstairs and wait for me when I would go pick them up on the weekend. Okay, but that's... Uh, so, they had a cell phone in, in Benchy. But, now let's, let's clarify some of these things. A cell phone service in China is dirt cheap. We currently pay $13 US a month per iPhone with more data than we'll ever go through in a month. How much does that iPhone cost? 
Um, $1,000. <laughs> you didn't get a deal? <clears throat> yeah, I got a deal. <laughs> That's not a Actually, deal. Actually, I paid 700 or 926 but for the same phone, you paid 700 and something. No, no, no. The point is, we paid you're going cash. to pay We're paying for the cash. phone here. You're going to, your service is going to be super cheap. Yeah, because they aren't connected. So if you're if you're coming from the states with the phone, you get it unlocked before you get here. Then once you get here, you just get your new SIM card and you're ready to go. And then you're until that phone becomes obsolete, you're ready. Right. Then you just go buy a new one. And I mean, it's not like you don't have the cash, which is kind of crazy to say out loud because. In China, the cost of living is really low. Well, no, it's not. It is. It's not low for Chinese people. It's not low for Chinese when people. When you come to China, you but will feel like, oh my God, that's so cheap when you start doing the conversions back to dollars. But when you look at what you make, you're going to be, uh, let's say if you came as a teacher, um, you're going to feel upper middle class. There's not least. feel, you are, your well, money that's is. what I'm saying, that's, that's where you're going to fall in the spectrum is upper middle class. You're not gonna be super rich, um, but you're, you're, you're gonna be able to do basically all the things you wanna do and you'll have enough money left over to be able to save, save for whatever. Save and travel and shop. Yeah. And traveling in China, that, that, that's, you can pretty much go anywhere you want to go and you can you can be real cheap and take a really slow train and sleep on it and wake up in that next destination or you can go real fast and it's still not going to cost all that much money or you can get on a plane. I mean, there's it's traveling around China is not like traveling around the US. Um, it's it is cost prohibitive at certain times of the year to jump on a plane and go across the country or from north to south um oh yeah in the united states i mean it's like you 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 have to plan plan pretty well <coughs> here uh they don't plan so because you're not planning you can literally go and go to the the train station today for a trip today or you could do it for right or do it for tomorrow or say later in the week um like today's monday and you could go and, and get your tickets for Friday and and work the rest of the week. Well, leave you, school, leave your job, jump on the train, be in another city, party hardy, come back sometime Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon and be ready to go to work the next morning and you pretty much were not out anything but all the craziness you did on the weekend. Right, like we, we took a bus from here to Macau, which is only about, what, two hours? Mm. And it cost us $11 for both tickets on the bus. And then our train ticket from Hong Kong to Guangzhou, which was about two and a half hour train ride, um, that was only $56, but we had first class and it was a special train. That yeah, but how much would the G train have been? 
G train is a fast train. The G train doesn't go that. How way. much would it have been to go the oh. same distance? Two hours, Guangzhou to say sent to Shenzhen or? How, oh, I mean that would have been. That's so cheap. Um, our trip. Cheaper than the train we took. Oh yeah, I think the train when we took the train from here to Shenzhen. I want to say it was maybe $30 round trip. And that was two trains there and two trains back. And it was like, I don't know. Hold on. That was like, what? It was $4 minutes? for the taxi to go to the train station. And it was like, what? 30 minutes? Shenzhen, it was 30 minutes to the first train station, from one train station to the second. From the second to the third, it was 40. So it was 40 minutes. So 30 minutes and 40 minutes, 70 minutes total. That doesn't sound It is. On the fast train. Yeah. But it took us two hours on the slow train. Two and a half hours on the slow train. From Hong Kong to... Speaking of trains, <laughs> we do live next to the train that goes. And you used to dog the one train all the time. Oh, it's ugly. But it was comfortable look, as could be. You look at it like when we look out our window right now and we see this train go by, it's got an ugly engine. It's an ugly green with a yellow stripe on it. It's ugly. It does not, you cannot see inside it. It's an ugly train. When I saw that ugly train in <laughs> Hong Kong that come back here to come back to to go to Guangzhou when we left Hong Kong two weeks ago last Sunday when we did that I was not a happy camper because it did not look good from the outside but then when we got on the inside and we had our bags and we had all this space it wasn't like the G train. It wasn't like the fast train. Mm -mm. It was like it all just opened up and we could put our bags in nice and comfortably. You could go over to your seat. You didn't bump into like 500 people on the way. The people were standing in the aisle and you could actually walk by them without hitting them. And then you got to your seat, you sat down and it felt very big, luscious. Comfortable. Comfy cozy. And then we found the lever on the <laughs> outside that you could make both seats turn and move. And yeah, it was very different than being squeezed <coughs> into itty bitty chairs on the fast train uh, with with seat cushions that were sliding off of them well, as you're sitting there. Seats that are falling off the bolt and uh, right. on the floor. Right. And they're going 300 kilometers so, per mile or right. per hour. I like the speed of the fast train, but the slow train. And this is not a sleeper. This was just uh, what do they call it? The inner, city, inner, inner city, city. Yeah, the inner city. Yeah. Train. And it was so much nicer. I I I would rather take that slower train. Because it basically didn't, that train didn't take, didn't make the stops 
that the other one did. Yep. And that's what made it so much better because it was inner city. It had to go. It only stopped three times. Yeah. It, it had to go places where you could go back through. You could come into China. Right. You, because we were. It had to have some kind of immigration. When you go from mainland China to places like Macau and Hong Kong. You're leaving China. You're actually leaving China. So you have to go through the customs immigration port and get a stamp on your passport saying you left China. Then you go through another one to enter into either Macau or Hong Kong. I'm sure Taiwan's the same way. I'm sure Taiwan is the same And, and Tibet. Tibet. Um, I'm sure they're all the same, but you're you're actually leaving China and you're going basically to another country. So you have to go through their immigration as well. When we left uh, Foshan and went to Macau, it was you walked through. It was very chaotic and just crazy and lots of people and hot. But when we decided to take the train back from Hong Kong. Uh, it was very simple. There, it was, <laughs> there were hardly any people. It was just very streamlined. Yeah, but you left. We left at 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, what I mean is we left Hong Kong. So you exit Hong Kong right. in Hong Kong. Then you get on the train. In then Hong you, Kong. Right. Then you ride all the way to, say, Guangzhou. That's where we went. So you would go all the way to Guangzhou. And then you enter China there. Right. So that's, you don't have to do the back to back, which is sort of a pain because there's usually a long, convoluted, rushing walk yeah. between the two exit and then entry points, no matter where you go out and then go in. So you don't have to do all that in one at one time, all you have to do is go out in Hong Kong, get on the train, ride for a couple hours, get some food delivered right to your chair, which is awesome, <laughs> and not have to even go to the dining car or anything like that. And then get your drink, your coffee, your tea, your whatever you're drinking. And then when you get off, you can get off, take your time, come go in, Go to the entry. I mean, you left China, so you can pretty much come back in. Um, you were, if there was going to be a problem, it was going to be in the getting out, not the getting back in. Right. Um, and then you get your things stamped and come on, go. One, walk by the guy, and you're 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 done. I mean, I mean, if you could, if you like I said, if you could have gotten out, then you can get pretty much get back in because you're, you're you have probably had the right paperwork to, to get out. Right, your visa has enough time on it. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it was far simpler to go through that process than the back-to-back -back thing of out and in and walking long distances because they need to make it feel like you've gone somewhere or whatever reasoning that they have. They heard you through all those Yeah, because a lot of it didn't make, it didn't make any sense that, it doesn't make any sense that you, you walked out and you walked in, but you're in the same country. Right. Why, why did it have to be, why couldn't it just be one? Why couldn't it just been exit and entry here you've left let's stamp you here you've come in 
stamp you and let you go on and get a taxi and go because you're in the same building. You haven't really gone anywhere. Right. The one in Macau, you actually had to walk across a parking lot through a mall and then yeah, no, but you didn't, into a separate building. But you're in the same country. You didn't leave the actual country. Macau doesn't get to be its own country. Right, when the Portuguese gave it back, they gave it to China. You know, just like Hong Kong is not its own country. Yeah. So just, why, why not simplify it, the process, and instead of creating long lines of people and acting like, oh, you can't get into Hong Kong, but you can get into China. That doesn't make any sense. Because if you can get into Hong Kong, you can get into China and vice versa. You're in the same country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the kinds of things that our children, uh, when they traveled back to the States, that was what they were the most concerned about was how are they going to deal with immigration because they had only dealt with immigration in China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Malaysia. They had never really dealt with immigration in the U.S., so that was an unknown for them. And when they got there, they said it was the easiest pie, the easiest immigration they'd ever done. But that's that's because, cool, but it wasn't easy for us, and all we did was go on a stupid cruise. Right. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was the night. Yeah, our, 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 one of our worst immigrate, our, one of our worst entry points into a country was coming off of a carnival cruise in Florida. And that was far more stressful and so many more issues and going through your luggage and all of that stuff. The dogs and the... That was way worse. The broken luggage. Than the stuff than the stuff we deal with in Asia. I mean, going into Thailand was ridiculously easy. Yeah, yeah it was. I mean, you just kind of show up and say hi. Here's my passport. now. Granted, it's easy. It's easy but because we we're, were American. Americans holding American passports. Um, but like every time I come into China, it's like they want to figure out who I am, which is weird. Uh, I really don't look any different than my passport picture. Uh, and my passport pictures have been the same across a few years that we've been gone. I've had to take a, one new one. But it, it's... I think they do it because, you know, they, there's a certain certain kind of racism in, uh, in China that, that we can talk about later. Yeah. It's on the list. It's on the list. All right. So, what else did your uh, your friends who are giving us helpful notes? What did they want us to talk about, or or what did they want to know about? Because they wanted to know. I'm about getting low. I think I'm getting low on wine. Well, you'll have to refill. And and this is whining Monday. I think I need something to whine about. Well, they wanted to know how we chose, how we did the schooling. Um, one parent asked why we didn't put our children in the local school. The local school. The local school. And I kind of giggled. In China. I kind of giggled because I didn't, and I didn't answer on Facebook because I wanted to answer here. But I really laughed because I remember before we left and we had interviewed with David and he suggested that we put the children in the po- local public school in the morning. And then at lunch, take them home, and then we would have them at home. 
And I thought, oh, maybe that'd be a cool idea. They could be fluent in Chinese. And oh my gosh, was I naive. Once we got okay. here, that wasn't I don't think option. it's. I don't think it's being naive. I think we thought the way most Americans think about China and its education. Mm, yeah. We had the idea that Chinese people and Chinese education, for some reason, Chinese people were smarter than Americans, their education system was better than America's, and that our children were going to benefit greatly by being in this better system. Yes. That's what, that wasn't being naive. That was what we thought because that's what our country told us. That was the propaganda we had been fed. Because once we got here and started teaching these children, we found out none of that was true. Right. And most of the students that we see in the States are not are more than the cream of the crop. They're the cream of the cream. Of the cream. Of the cream of the crop. And that's who we see. We are not seeing the regular students in public schools. I don't care if they say they go to the number one school in their area or the bottom school in their area. Most of them are basically not ever going to be qualified to leave this country and go to the United States for educational purposes. No. And unfortunately, we have been fed a lie for a very long time. Yep. Now, that's not to say that the students that go to the United States don't work very hard. Most of them, if they are serious about their studies, they do that. They And they end up working harder than most because they have to. They have to keep learning a second language at a high school or university level. So they're, they're working very hard. But they don't ever talk about the ones that get sent home because their grades fall and they can't stay in the country anymore because of their visa or the school kicks them out or they don't meet the basic requirements or they failed all their classes or they cheated or they... They found out their paperwork was fraudulent. Yes, all of these things. You see, so... We weren't naive. We had expectations built upon lies. Yes, yes, yes. And it was a lie that was perpetuated not only in the media, but in our movies, TV shows. It was always the one smart... Asian person. Today it's the one smart Indian Indian person. Okay? And it's just not true. Right. Um, It's unfortunate, but it's not true. But anyway, so education in a Chinese school. um, When we first got here, it became something like, no way, I'm not going to do that. after we've been here for a while and left and come back, we tried to put our kids into the high school I was working in and found out that our biggest problem there was the thing, American. What, was the American. Uh, well, was, the two Americans. It was, it, was, it was the American teachers 
were their were the biggest problems because these teachers were not teachers. Right. They wouldn't have been teachers in the states. They weren't qualified. Um, they they were they were horrible horrible teachers. So that was and then we had to pull our kids out of there because they, it didn't make any sense for them to be there. Um, but the students that they had uh, in, in their international program, which was, that's what they termed it, was still not very, like the quality of student was not very high. Um, well, these were not the top students right. in the school. The top students in the school went to the Chinese school. They did not go into the international program. Right, they didn't go into the private international program. They went to the Chinese portion. But for us, when we got to Benchi, it was overwhelming, the response that we got. Um... Because most of the, the children had never, well, most of the people, let's not talk about just children, all the people had never seen uh, a black man, they'd never seen uh, biracial children, they'd never seen uh, a man with long hair with dreadlocks, or uh, our son also has locks, so they'd never seen a, a girl with naturally curly hair in person. Uh, I had students who would cry because of my blue eyes. Um, so it was, we were a big distraction. People would approach us everywhere. And I didn't want our children to be in a classroom where they would be a distraction, where they would be distracted, or where the teacher would mistreat them or treat them differently than other students because of who they were. Because if, and if a, a Chinese teacher thought she was going to treat my child like a Chinese child, I would end up in Chinese prison. Okay, just so that everybody understands, being treated like a Chinese child means that corporal punishment is allowed. So, it's expected. if you're, if you, one of the, one of the things that I had um, early on as I had a student that was sort of terrorizing his classmates in, not in a public school, but in a learning center that they would come to twice a week in the evening. And he was essentially terrorizing the students in his class. And, and I tried to tell uh, the, the owner of the school, I said, look, you need to come talk to this guy because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the verge now. He needs to be removed from the classroom. And the owner just looked at me and said, beat him. And I just kind of looked at him like, okay, I'm not, I'm not here to beat on Chinese students. I mean, that's just, that's not why I came here. I didn't come here to do that. And he just, he just looked at me and said, beat him. That's what, that's, that's what happens. That's how you deal with the student, with, with a student that is not, um, Right, he's not he's not succumbing to the the norms of the classroom. He, he he gets beaten, and there were sticks in every classroom. I thought it was a pointer. It wasn't a pointer. It was a bamboo stick for beating students. Um, they do that in Thailand too. And they do it in Thailand too. Um, so it's it's important to understand that that as a foreigner, and you throw your child into one of those classrooms. 
and the teacher says, what is your name in Chinese? And you don't understand and you don't answer fast enough, you're wrong. And you can be punished. And you can be punished. For an hour standing with your arms above your head or, you know, cleaning the classroom or, you know, she kicks you or punches you or smacks you in the face. Or doesn't allow you to have any water. Or go to the bathroom or eat lunch or... So, there are all these things that as a, as a Westerner would not even enter into the mind of a teacher to do to a, a student that our normal practice in this 1950s America or 21st century China. Yeah. Yeah. So we couldn't put our children in a public school. So we just decided, because we're both teachers, to create their curriculum based on their age level and their interests. But that really wasn't all that big a deal because we were familiar with how they had been learning in the States. We were at their school all the time. We knew we knew what they had been doing. Right. And how they had been learning. So it was not a it wasn't that hard for us to just say, okay, let's just keep that going here. We'll keep that level of exploration and and um, Finding of new things. Can't think of the word. Inquiry. Yeah, all of the all of the stuff that they had been doing before. In collaboration. Yeah, we had, we just together. we just let them do that and gave them questions to answer, assignments to think about. We gave them all kinds of things that they could explore on their own. They had the internet. They had had ways of, of connecting to the internet. They had. The means. It wasn't, you know, they had all, all the books and games and uh, things for learning language, things for learning uh, different subject matter. And we've gotten more over the years, but they've, you know, uh, biology kind of isn't going to change. Uh, English is not going to change. Uh, history, hopefully. Uh, won't change. So it's not it's not really it's really not rocket science in letting children explore all of these topics at their own pace. Right. And and I think a lot of the parents think, oh I need a curriculum. Oh I need to follow something. It's like ah oh, no you don't. Why don't you just ask them what do they like? Right. Then 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 try to figure out well, if you like this thing, well, let's go find out about it. Because just in finding out about that thing, well, you're going to delve into so many other relevant pieces of information that are all going to come together in that thing. And you're you're going to they're going to branch off, they're going to ask questions, they're going to keep going, and all of a sudden, they're learning about stuff that you never would have put into that curriculum that right. you found online. Yep. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I, and I, there's a good example of that of my, my 
son and my daughter have been spending the summer trying to figure out how to do this slime thing. They're all into the slime. They want to have make slime. Okay, fine. Make slime. They got a recipe. They keep getting it wrong and it keeps coming out not the way they want it to come out. Okay, that's great. Then my son sends me a message in the morning and says, Hey, and then he calls me on FaceTime and then it's, check it out. I did it. We got the recipe. It was our fifth try today. Right. And they and they and now they've got the slime that they've made on their own. They did the research to find the different recipes. They watched the videos on their own. They used their money to go to the store and purchase the items they needed to make the stuff. But here's the kicker. My son needs to start learning chemistry. Ah, sucker. And so that's, <laughs> that was my next thing. Okay? Why didn't the other ones work? Find out. Now it's time to find out why these things did not work. What were, how, what did you do differently? Did you stir? Did you shake? What was going on? And then all of a sudden, he looks at me like I just created a whole year's worth of study. And it's like, yes, you did. Because <laughs> now you have to go find out why. Why did this thing work? Why did that thing, those, or those other things, why didn't they work? And now he, and chemistry is what he's got to do this year. He's got to start learning some chemistry. He's got to start getting prepared for that part of his education. He's done uh, physical science. He's done biology. He's got to now start looking at chemistry. And then I told him today, you know, after chemistry, biochemistry is in there too. You know, and, and putting the two sciences together as, as well as physics. So that's how we approached it. It was always through their, their exploration. A lot of people said that that system would not work for high school and junior high school students. And I, didn't, I never believed that. Um, um, every day I walk into my, my classrooms and I always ask my students, do they have any questions? And in China, that's something that they're really not allowed to do. Uh, yeah. Usually by the second term, they will start to entertain the idea of coming to class prepared with a question, uh, but for the most part, they don't. But I, from day one, always have a question. And I start my classes. Every class starts with, I have a question. I want you to tell me. I want you to explore this idea or tell me something about your culture. And we do that with our kids. So I would, I would, I would suggest to any of the non-teacher parents out there who are serious about moving, moving their family out of the states and going to other places, Stop looking for curriculum. Yeah. That is not where you should start. Yes, there are many different things out there, lots of systems. Uh, depending on the age of your child, maybe they need to be prepared for, say, college level type things. And that might be something you need to do because maybe you can't do that. Okay, fine. But if you've got young younger children, explore. Explore where you are. Yes. Take them out of the house. Get them out there. 
Let them see things. Let them see the fish being chopped up right there, right after they bought it for dinner. It yeah. was swimming around and the lady just takes it and bangs it on the ground a couple times, chops it up and gives it to you. Pulls out the guts and the head still attached. I mean, uh, you've got to, you've got to let them see this world. That's why you brought them. Yep. You know, and that and it really doesn't matter where you where you go. It's just a matter of exposing and being open to exposing them to all the different things. Yeah, I mean, like when we first arrived in China, we tried all kinds of crazy foods and we did all different experiences. We do a lot less of that now because we've been here for so long. But when we, they- Yeah, what would you try now that you hadn't tried before? I don't know, because the food here is terrible. One known food is bad. I prefer the food in the north. I, I like Sichuan food, uh, Bay food, but the food in Guangdong is just black. I prefer never to eat it again. That did not. That was not black. black. The food here is blah. Just bland. Like no flavor. Just no taste. It is awful, awful food. But when we it's very fresh, but it's very bad. Right. We first moved to Benchy, we tried silkworm larva and scorpions and snake and shark. Dog, unfortunately. That don't judge us. That we was, a, that we was an accident. Know. We didn't that was know. An accident. We didn't know. Um Dog was their version of turkey on Thanksgiving. Right. It was a Korean restaurant. So take it with what you will. Um what else did we try? Oh, pigeon. Pigeon was good. Yeah, the, the snake was good. Our children fell in love with squid and octopus, and we tried. Well, I, I had eaten frog lots, but they had tried frog. And yes, but they tried frog with a frog that was jumping around in a little container outside of right at the front a of the planter, restaurant when you walked a in. A box with frogs yes. and turtles in it and we ordered a frog dish and then watched the waiter walk over and pick out a giant frog from the planter and take it back and that was dinner. Right. That was the experience that was different. Right she wants that, That's just really funny to us. But like, like now we are like, you know, not, it's not a big deal but the first time the kids were like, oh my gosh. You just, you just grab that frog and that's what's going to be in our pot. Yeah, that works. At least you know it doesn't have freezer burn. But getting getting all of those experiences, getting all of, I mean, that's that's sort of why you, why you leave, why you go, right. why you come to a place like this because. Take them to see the cultural, cultural things and then discuss it with them. You know, we took the children to, Beijing for our first Chinese New Year and we went and saw the Forbidden City and the Ming Tombs and the Great Wall. Uh, we saw the Olympic Village. We went to a silk factory and a jade factory and when they got home they had to write about their experience. They had to write about staying or riding in the train for the first time in their lives. Uh, they had to write about staying in a hostel. That was my first time staying in a hostel. Uh, they had to write about visiting Wangfujing Street, which is the most famous food and the oldest food street in the world. Um, they had to write about all these different experiences. And then 
they had to tell grandma about them. So they got their oral presentation, they got their writing, they got, I mean, you don't need a written down curriculum for them to learn the things they need to learn. It's just not necessary. Plus they got history. A lot of history. And they got to see things that they would never have seen if they were just in the States. Right. So. Most of their peers will never see. Maybe. I would say a good portion of their peers will never see. So, and, and we do that all the time. We take them and do stuff with them. Um, they've been to like a hot springs for Christmas and in Thailand we went to see the Buddha and the temple and We've been in a couple of caves. We went to one in the Benchy Water Cave, and then we went to the one in Guiyang that tried to kill me. So they get all kinds of cultural experience, which is part of their education. Part of being homeschooled or world schooled is that they never really have time off. They're always learning something. Even on vacation, even at the beach, we've had beach days where it's their job to document the, the creatures that they see in the sand or the fish they see in the, the shallow water and then draw and, and it's just everywhere. Education is everywhere. And your Starbucks days. Oh, I love Starbucks days. Starbucks days are great. Um, the children, our children are writing a book together. Um, they created their own mythology, their own characters. Um, and so I will take them to Starbucks maybe once or twice a month and I will write for the whole time I'm there and they will collaborate on their book and write while they're there. So they have a couple of hours of just sitting there and collaborating on their book and typing it up and those are what we do on Starbucks days. I love Starbucks days. Any other things from the, uh, the Brain Trust in the States? Um, I, there was one other one. <clears throat> Oh, I, I have one. Uh, don't 
don't expect parenting in China. Oh, don't, goodness. Don't even, don't even think that you're going to see what you think of as good parenting in China. And you will see a lot of what you will consider bad parenting in China. They so are don't horrible parents. Don't, don't let that be a, a You will see things that will make you want to smack the mama and shake the daddy. Maybe smack them both together. And try to find that diaper to put on the baby. Yeah, so we started out by saying that our, our daughter wanted to see the babies because they had no diapers. That is a real thing. But they, they have a big hole in the bottom of their pants. They have, the crotch is completely open. And uh, they won't have a diaper on the child. From about three or four months on to about maybe, I don't know, two or three, they don't wear diapers. They don't use diapers. Um, they teach the baby to go to the bathroom by making a sound, like a shushing sound. On command. On command. Um, On demand peeing. And they let them pee wherever they are. Wherever. Anywhere let they are. Let that sink in. Wait for it. Wherever Ooh. they are. Let me, let me talk about the KFC. So we had only been in China for just a few months and the children were really craving Western food. And so we went to KFC one day. Which is not Western. It's not Western at all. Um, but we're, we're in KFC and the children are sitting down at a table waiting for me and I hear this child screaming and crying and throw, throwing a fit. And then I hear a collective gasp from our children. And this little girl was probably about three or four years old and had to go to the bathroom. And instead of her parents taking her the 30 steps to the bathroom, mom picks her up, pulls down her panties, picks, like aims her, and the child pees on the floor of the dining room at the KFC. Dad gets up. It shut it. Dad gets up and goes and grabs the mop that is near the ba- the bathroom. Um, comes over, swabs the pee all over the floor, and then puts the mop back. Child stops fussing, and there you go. Evenly, evenly spread urine on a floor makes it clean. Yeah, because urine is disinfected. Correct. Yeah. 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 We've seen um, children pooing in the... No, no, no. What? That's not so bad. The pooping on the sidewalks? Pooping on the sidewalk is not that bad a thing from a child. Oh, but it's the it grown man. it is a pretty bad thing from a, from a grown man. Uh, the that... grown man pooping in the bushes or pooping on the sidewalk. That's pretty And good. looking at you like you shouldn't even feel a thing. Right. You shouldn't say a thing. Or you shouldn't even notice that he's there, like he's hiding. Right. In plain sight. If you can't see me because I close my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't say that right. So. I can't see you. Um, you can't see me. 
Yeah, and there are there are there are there are those things. Yeah. Um, which are probably covered in the list at some point. Yeah, they are covered. Um. We were on vacation. The children are the children are in the states, and we're on vacation. And we called, talked to him before bedtime, and I said, oh, I have to tell you, I saw parenting today. And the look on their faces was just a, a look of awe. And when I explained to them that the child was getting snippy with mom, and dad stepped in and ended up removing the child, and the children were like, oh, no way. Then I had to tell them that even though we were in Macau, the parents were not Chinese. Nope. Because these are not normal things that Chinese parents do in China. Nope. I've seen, I've personally seen a seven-year-old smack his father so hard in the face that the father staggered backwards. And then the dad just smiled and said, oh, please don't, that's not nice. And then the child jumped up and smacked him again. This is in my classroom. And I just looked like, what on earth is going on? I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom. I think that's the time when you turn into Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just. Ah, here's the other question. Okay, hit me. What do you say? Running low on wine. What What do you say when people criticize your decision to become an expat? Okay, what people? Okay, so we've had friends. I know, what people? American people, Chinese uh, people? American people. people. What do you say to American people who criticize your decision to become an expat? What do I say, like out loud or in my head? Well, in our head is probably best in our head. Because in our head, I just want to say a whole lot of things that are inappropriate. Uh, but out loud, what do you say to them? For example, your, your frat brother called us one day. You were asleep. One o'clock in the morning, he called, and he we had just moved to Thailand, so we had been in China for two years, working six days a week for two years, and we were in Thailand, and he wanted me to wake you up so he could talk with you, and I said, I can't because you have school in the morning, and he said, when are you guys going to come home and get a real job? Okay, now you're not talking about living expat. You're no, about and I explained to him that... You know, working six days, teaching six days a week is a, a real job. Yeah. And he said, why are you defectors? You defected from our country. Why aren't you coming okay. back? We still, okay, as far as defecting. Yeah, I don't think he understood the word he was We still have, you know, American passports. So we haven't left our, I think it's called civilization, something like that. We citizenship. Haven't, we, haven't, we haven't renounced our citizenship or anything like that. Nor will um, we. But... As far as living and working in the States, well, right now we couldn't live and work in the States and have the amount of disposable income that we have right now. Right. 
um, our bills would be far higher. I mean, basically, if you're a teacher in China, a foreign expert style teacher, um, it's pretty much the law of the land that, that the school must provide your housing. Or a stipend to pay for your housing. But that amount includes where you stay, your furniture, a TV that we never turn on. Right. Um, <coughs> beds. Right. Our refrigerator. Fully furnished. I mean, it's fully furnished. So it, we sold everything in the United States. Of course, we didn't bring hardly anything with us except for our clothes. The we've accumulated more, but you're still you're still basically way better off. Here than we would have been in the States having sold all of our stuff and going to work every day doing one of those quote-unquote real jobs and and struggling where we wouldn't be traveling or going to new places or taking a giving vacation. yeah giving <laughs> giving our children experiences outside of the American norm we wouldn't be able to do any of those things uh, with the same levels of education and and ability yeah. the same the same stuff would not afford us the same opportunities right. so to me i guess my biggest my biggest thing is you're asking me why why we left or why we won't come back and i'm asking why are you staying right because for a lot of people, they are currently in the same situation we were in before we left. Right. Can't pay the bills. The mortgage rate's still rising. Yeah. You know, car insurance, gas prices are rising. It's just, it's ridiculous. But I mean, you know, and and I, I don't think that it's a good thing to keep banging your head against that wall and calling it hustling or calling that, you know, I'm working hard or I'm grinding every day. Wouldn't you rather not to grind? Right. Wouldn't you rather go to nice places around the world and see new things and experience new stuff and give something to your children that maybe your parents either were unwilling or unable to give to you? Why wouldn't you do that? Right. So, as far as I'm concerned, uh, when people say, I mean, keep in mind, people rarely say these things to me. They say them to but, me all the but time. But because that's because of who I am, and I might, you know, go. Uh, I guess, I guess the only term we have now is <laughs> full mentalek. Yeah, you might. I might, I might go full mentalek today, and and you know, tell them where they can go and have fun with themselves. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's important to understand that we are able to do the things that we do because we were willing to not stay complacent, to not stay where we were. Um, we were living in a place in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we're living in Grand Rapids, which is a good maybe hour from the Great Lakes. And a lot of the people around us where we live either had never been to Lake yep. Michigan yep. or never will 
have gone to Lake Michigan right. throughout their entire lives and they're only an hour away. Less than, I think 30 or 40 minutes. So keep in mind that that, that mindset, especially from Americans, you know, of, oh, you should stay here because this is the better place to be. Well, that's just not true. Right. So I, I'm more, I, I like the idea more about, you know, I guess you can, you can blaze a new trail or you can just walk along an old one, but just get out, go see that place. And, and we spend a lot of time not going anywhere. I mean, right. we have regular lives. You, when you're, when you're, you know, working every day. I mean, that doesn't afford you a month. A whole, you're not, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to work, and you're going to come home, and you're going to eat dinner, and you're going to hang out with your family, and then you're going to go to bed. And you're going to do it again the next day. That's like anywhere else, anywhere you go in the world. But maybe your weekends, maybe those uh, like here in China, you get National Week, you get um, Spring Festival. Then you go. You might go. Or you might stay because, you know, honestly, staying in the city where you live for those things is new in itself. Right. You know, but I, I guess I, I tend to worry less about what what people staying in America think you should do. And the only reason that they're staying usually is is will. They don't have the will to leave or try a new thing. Well, I think they also have fear. They're they're well, that's, they're that, paralyzed you, by but fear. But honestly, uh, I can't I can't even sit here and say it wasn't scary. Turn it up to eleven. Here we go. Back to our whiny Monday. We got cut off. I don't right. know where I was, but so we were. What do you want to about... What do you want to talk about with? question the, the, the idea of being defectors. being defectors leaving the United States going to a new place and having a better life oh yeah talk about that I think it's just it's you know it's scary it's the fact that they can't fathom leaving everything they know and and going to somewhere new and it is scary it's probably the most stressful day of my entire life the day we went to Chicago to get our visas because I knew at that moment we had sold just about everything we owned and if those visas were somehow denied for some reason what on earth were we going to do? Yeah but having the experiences we've had so far that's a pretty small thing. Heck yeah! Are you kidding me? That's <laughs> I mean, nothing! We, we left China the first time in 2013 and we literally moved all of our stuff to a hotel yep in Phuket yep with no job no place to live no nothing and we could only afford to stay in the hotel for about a, a, a little over a week well I had booked the hotel for a week well, I'm just saying we right. needed the money so that we could get right. a place to live well we would have had a whole lot more had we not been fleeced by <laughs> the fleecing of China the fleecing of by Air China when we left we we knew we were gonna go to Thailand with just the possessions that we had and start fresh 
And for whatever reason, I wasn't nervous at all about that. I was excited, but I wasn't scared or nervous or I had no anxiety whatsoever. It wasn't until we got to the airport in Beijing and started checking our luggage, we knew we'd have overweight fees. I had bought all of the the maximum weight weight amount for every person, so I knew I'd have overweight fees. I did not realize we would have four thousand U.S. dollars worth of overweight fees because of the way Air China specifically charged for overweight. If we wouldn't have spent four thousand U.S. dollars, we could have lived in Thailand for a good six or eight months with no job. No problem. So I mean, the stuff that we did to get out of the United States was big at that time. Right, because we'd but never done it. Now I could see us literally packing up our stuff, shipping whatever we wanted to ship out to a new place, grabbing our couple of bags and not doing what we did before uh, 20 some bags on our on a plane but actually just grabbing a couple each person and leaving right. and just waiting for our stuff to show up in the new place I mean we we we've done it enough now that that we can do it fairly comfortably um, Especially if we stayed inside of China. Oh, that's easy peasy. That's, we could we could ship our stuff pretty pretty easily. Now going outside of China, we'll probably go through the whole selling off of most stuff and shipping other things that we really want to keep. Well, I'm already preparing. If you decide you want to leave the country, I'm sending back to put things in our storage unit that we don't use now. The kids have outgrown some books. There's some memorabilia stuff that. We don't need to keep carting around, so I'll just ship it back to our storage unit since I pay for it every month, and then we don't have to pay the luggage fees to constantly bump it around the world. Carting, that's that becomes the biggest worry, moving around, um, you know, doing the whole living expat thing, uh, is you're going to accumulate stuff and you're gonna to have to find a way to manipulate that stuff. And what are you going to, how are you going to move it? I mean, weight becomes a consideration, but you're gonna, you're gonna need, you're definitely going to need to have some kind of plan. You'll come to, you'll, you can go wherever you wanna go in the world with very little, buy when you get there, but are you going to get it home? Are you going to get it home? Will they let you ship it out of the country? Right. Um, these are not just easy things like it is in the United States. You might be in one, like in China, you might be in one part of the country and you can ship a thing out to the Jewelry. United States and you might move to another part of the country and they say, no, you cannot ship that. So uh, it's important to always keep that as a consideration always think about you know while you're there do you really want to buy that thing or do you just plan that when you leave you're just going to sell it um, I have a desk like that 
I doubt my desk goes anywhere. The bookshelves, maybe we sell them to the landlord or something. But you basically, you bought it to use while you were there and your your expectation 100% is that you're going to sell it when you leave. Um, and if you get, I mean, if you're at a place for a couple of years, maybe that's all you do need. You know, you got two years of use out of the thing. You can sell it for whatever you can get for it and, and move on. Right. That's not, I mean, that's not that big a deal. With QQ and WeChat, I'm sure you can sell just about anything. And Facebook. Yep. You can just put it out there and you'll have people coming over and getting all your stuff. We did a little bit of that when we left Thailand. Uh, selling of stuff. And, we, and that's also how we bought stuff in Thailand. So right. that those expat, for those people that, that are really considering uh, moving or moving around, you know, the expat communities in your areas, they're used to this whole process. And, you know, you start saying, oh, I'm going to sell a an oven or I'm going to sell, a, you know, a printer or whatever. They're going to snap that stuff up so fast because they don't want to spend the full amount. that full amount on it anyway. Right, because you know, they're probably going to leave in a couple years. Right. Or... And they're going to sell it as well. So. Yeah. Um, rely on your expat communities. There's there's a lot of them. Um, oh, what is the name of that? Internations. Yeah. Yep. Internations was is is like an organization where you can meet expats from all over the world. Um, you it, can also do a Facebook search for uh, groups in your area. Like there's one in here in Foshan. We've never really connected with any of them. For whatever reason we've, we've been out we've been in China long enough where we just really just keep to the family and that's it we have very few people that we hang out with and I don't know if you'd hang out with a lot of people if you have children right um, the older your children are the better living in China um, the Chinese people have a weird very very different ideas about where children should be and what they should be doing at certain ages. Um, like I said before, we left our children at home when we first came to China. But they would Chinese only be people, home like two hours at a time. Yes, but Chinese people wouldn't do that. And so our boss did not have a concept of, oh, you're going to leave them there alone. It's like, yeah. Well, now let's be fair because some of those kids were left home at age five and six, and they'd be home all day long by themselves. I don't know of any kids. In Benchi, we had, I had some students who their parents couldn't, the grandma was sick or, you know, had traveled and mom and dad had to go to work and some of the kids, they just turn on the TV and have food delivered to the door and the kid would be home for hours by themselves. Yeah, but that sounds like special circumstances not a daily thing no I mean we, some of the, we could send we could leave our children home daily well when we, we went to work right well they were like we daily yeah we left them at home for two hours or an hour or whatever daily yeah but not like when we do it for in Thailand daily and leave the country yeah we left and daily we left the country with them. so I mean it's it's very different oh. I mean in, in China, they don't they, they tend not to go down that route. 
they don't do it. They don't, they really don't allow children to be children. So then they don't allow them to do things on their own. Someone is usually always there minding them. Yeah. And it's usually a grandparent or a nanny that's been hired to, and I've had, uh, I had a student whose mother didn't want to have children. And so she had a nanny for her entire life. And the nanny never left her alone. Right. So coming into China with really small children, it's hard to get work that way because they think that you must be at home with the children. Well, especially as a woman. Yeah. A woman coming in, like a single mother with a child, a, a small child, it's nearly impossible to get work. Uh, because they don't, the schools don't want to have that responsibility. It's also very difficult coming in uh, without the second parent for the visa because they have crazy, weird rules about visas and parenting or parentage and proof of parentage that just makes it really, really difficult. Yeah, and, you thought you thought birth certificates said it all and they don't. Yeah, they don't say a thing, really. Not to a Chinese person. Who yeah, they don't read English and, and your birth certificates don't mean a thing to them, so. Yes, but they also don't show, um, they don't show who the parents are to their satisfaction. Right. Um, because our, their society has what's called a family book, and we don't. Right. So how do I know, how do my kids, how do I prove that my kids are my kids? And all we have is a birth certificate, and that's not enough for them. So you need a birth certificate and a marriage, marriage license, which I don't know why a marriage license equals child, but China, of course, it does because it's like the 1950s. Right, they aren't allowed to have children outside of wedlock. So. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's a very uh, basically have all your ducks in a row when it comes to proving that you're allowed to be traveling with your child long before you ever leave the United States. If you need some kind of legal stuff. You need to make sure that that legal stuff is taken care of in America. Do not come to China and not because they'll just be sent home. Well, you'll also be sent to the U.S. Embassy no matter what to get authentication paperwork to prove uh, basically that your documents are official. It's a $50 fee. You can do as many birth certificates as you have and your marriage license or divorce papers or whatever paper you have. You can do them all in one fee, um, but it will need to say China on it. It doesn't matter if you have it from another country. If it doesn't say China, they won't accept it. So make sure you, you maybe visit the Chinese U.S. Embassy. And there's one in, in Beijing, there's one in Shanghai, and there's one in Guangzhou. Those are the only ones where you can go to appointments. Which is essentially north, east, and south of the country. Right. I've been to all of them now. Well, do we have anything else? That was the last question so That's far. It. That's all. Well, you were talking about 
how scary it was to come into Benchy in the middle of the night with your family up eight floors. Well, my 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 only point in that story is is that it's a scary proposition to leave. It's scary. It might be scary when you arrive, but then you're going to adapt. And the more you put yourself in that position, the easier it becomes. I mean, now, I, I, I honestly, after the places that we've lived in, I don't, I don't, I mean, I might, we might move into a place and I look around and go, okay, we're not going to stay here. So we'll just find a place or negotiate with the, with the people that are, you know, that we're working for, tell them that this place is just not going to work for us. And then we'll find a new place and move. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's not something I would have thought about when I first came to church. Right. Our first year when we were, you know, it was, and we were in a nice, we were actually in a nice apartment. In a nice area. In a nice area. And next to a really giant, nice park. And, you know, and we had some, some cover from some of the pollution. I mean, it was it was much nicer than what we, what we were led to believe it was. Right. From what we saw when we came in. However, the worst part about it was the stairs. Yes, but that was only because buildings under a certain height didn't need um, elevators right. when that building was built. And the fact that, you know, we're both we both have knee issues and back issues. and But none of that really matters. I mean, you, you didn't come here because you have knee issues. You came here because you wanted to work. Well, we also came here because we wanted to give our children a, a different perspective of life. But my point is our knee issues and health right. issues had nothing, had nothing to do with it. It, it was just... It's important to if you're if you're actually looking to leave or actually looking to go to a new place basically leave your expectations at the border. Yes. That's going to probably be the best thing that you can do for yourself, your sanity. Um, please don't expect that people outside of America are going to think like Westerners, unless you're in a Western country. Um, and honestly, even if you're in a Western country, they may not think like 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 we America. do in America. Right. Um, but there are a lot of things that will get under your skin, hence the reason why we have the lists. And I guess we'll have to talk more about the lists later. But that's... It's important to it's important to take into account all of those little things before you leave. If you can be as open-minded as possible, you're going to have a much easier time leaving the United States. If you are closed-minded and you think everything is supposed to work the way it does in the United States, it's better for you to stay there. Yes. Because, because you will be miserable. Right. You're going to be absolutely miserable. You'll be locked into some contract. Uh, break your contract in, in many places in China. will put you on a blacklist 
and you won't be able to work in China for like a year or two years or something. So uh, it's better it's better for you to stay where you are if you can't handle change on a daily basis, which we can talk about later. But list. Yeah, that's on the list, probably. I'm sh- I know it's on the list. So it's 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 important. It's really important to be open-minded. Don't expect anything to be like it was in the United States. And then find your niche. Your first year, the best thing you can do is kind of just go in with every day, what can I learn today? You're, you being, if you, we're English teachers, and so for us, we, if we would have walked into the classroom every single day saying, let me teach you something, it probably would have been miserable for us. We went into the classroom every day, and I still do. What am I going to learn from you today? Because even though they're children, my I had small children, ages 18 months to about 9 or 10 years old. Um, even they have things to teach us. And if we're so arrogant to think, oh, I'm the teacher and I know everything, you're really going to struggle. All the Chinese I've learned, all of it, was taught to me by my students. I think that was the other question where were our children fluent in Chinese. We learned a lot more Mandarin in Benqi, which is Northeast China. We learned a lot more because we had to use it every day. We had to use it to buy things, go places, get taxis. We were always speaking. Um, and then, of course, you end up speaking at home to each other. Right. Um, we still do that. And we still do that. But then, when we got to Thailand, so many people spoke English. In um, Phuket. In Phuket because of the fact that it's a tourist place. And they get a lot of people from all over the world. And so because of that, Thai became something that we really didn't have to speak. The children learned it a little bit when they went to school in Thailand. A very little bit. Yep. And I learned a, a teeny bit, but not not much, not enough to, to, to say anything to anybody, really. Uh, counting, maybe, but that's about it. I learned two words. Hello, Just, goodbye, and thank you. But that's that's kind of what happens if you, depending on where you go, you're gonna have people that if they speak your language, then you're not gonna have to be forced to speak theirs. And it's, it would be good if you if everybody could just take the time and learn. But honestly, if I'm an English teacher and I'm walking on all day long teaching English, I'm supposed to be teaching my students English. Why would I be teaching? Why would I be speaking in another language and it does not ever from a teaching standpoint it really does not help these kids in either one of these contexts to be taught in their native language English right it does not help them so because of that I tend to refrain from speaking in even if I know the word I don't say it now I will pull it, pull out words, or answer questions, or 
do things that make them understand that, oh, he might understand what we're saying to maybe keep the decorum of the classroom at a high level. That, yeah, that's important. <laughs> but I, I tend to not. I make them vocalize and try to explain things to me and make them work through it because they need that experience when they leave. Um, so are children fluent in Chinese? Eric Keegan? No. They're not fluent in Chinese. In fact... Oh. So we went from Benchi to Thailand and back to here. Uh, well, we went to uh, Wuhan first and then left there and came to Foshan. Here is a kind of a different situation because there's no more Mandarin and it's, right. and it's Cantonese, which then sounds like a whole nother thing. It doesn't even it doesn't it doesn't even resemble Mandarin much at all. And no, sounds like Thai. And I don't know. Spanish Honestly, I don't, I don't know what it's like. It's, 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 it, it doesn't sound at all even logical in Chinese. Like the Chinese that I know, it doesn't have the same kind of logic to it. Right. So it's like, it, it almost sounds, it really sounds really like a gibberish. And so you just sit there and, and now uh, we've become a far more insular and we just kind of don't go places and we don't go out to eat as much. Being vegan makes it very difficult to go out to eat in this area. Um, yeah. Even, so, even being ovo-lacto-vegetarian, it's, it's difficult because I'll ask for things uh, in Mandarin. You know, I don't want meat. I don't want this. I don't want that. And I'll get the dish with the meat and they think they could just pick it out and I'm, I'll be okay. So, we just don't go out often. We don't go out. So, that, that becomes a, a whole different challenge. Uh, dietary restrictions. If you're vegan or vegetarian or you don't eat beef or you don't eat pork. If you don't eat pork in China, you're... If you're... If those are going to cause you problems. You're struggling. Yeah, it's going to be an issue. Um, and trying to explain to somebody that fish is meat, well, that's a whole other problem. And the eggs are meat. And the eggs are meat. Um, and that pizza is okay without cheese. I mean, there's so many, so many of these things they're not even considering. Um, uh, Thailand, you don't eat. You're you're totally vegan, which means you eat no meat whatsoever. But then they want to put fish sauce on your food. So. There's, there's all of those issues. So dietary restrictions, you gotta look at it. Um, if you have a peanut allergy, I would suggest not coming to China at all. Yeah. Because a lot of things are cooked in peanut oil or soybean oil. Um, that, that could be an issue. That could be a big issue. Um, a lot of peanuts are put in a lot of dishes. So, I mean, it's like, you got to be careful when it comes to food. Um, you got to be careful with uh, uh, your expectations about food. Um, I would not say that Chinese food is bad. I, I would say it's probably uh, 
it's different than what you expect it's probably, American. It's not the Chinese food that you get at a Chinese food place, that's for sure. But it's also, food in China is usually fresh vegetables. It's going to be more vegetable than meat. Um, Chinese people don't really eat a lot of meat. They just have meat in everything. Little bits of meat but here and be there. Little bits in everything. And so you have to be really careful about that um, if you don't eat it. Now, if you do eat it or, or you eat everything, well, then you can come to Asia and you'll never starve. And it will cost you less money to go to a restaurant than it would to stay at home and go to the market and cook your own food. That's right. really important to understand. If you, I mean, if you don't cook, you don't have to. We have a friend that eats out. She'll go and grab something on the weekend. She'll grab it at lunchtime, and it'll be enough food to last her for lunch and dinner. And for the total, for two meals, it's $1.63. Yeah, you can definitely eat in China. Everywhere. Everywhere. And that, when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. Like, we walk to the front of our complex of, of apartment buildings here, and there's at least four or five restaurants across the street where you can eat. And that's just across the street from us. Now, you go move around and go other parts of the city, I mean, you're, you're going to have food everywhere. Right. That is not a concern. So don't worry about going hungry. You don't need much money. The one thing I miss about living like someplace like Ben Chi, or even Wuhan had a little bit more of it than they do here, is there aren't food, food stalls. Like, you know, we used to go on the walking street yeah. and the food, they don't have that here because the area, the district we live in is so brand new that they don't have a lot of that. Well, I didn't see any of it in Guangzhou. Um. I didn't see food stands. Or food oh no! I, what I'm thinking of is Bangkok outside of the embassy. Yeah, see, temporary, temporary food stalls, which in Thailand they're starting to crack down on and get rid of. Right. Um. But in Benchi, they they could be on the corner. They could right. be on the corner in busy places or not so busy places. And you can walk up and get you a giant sweet potato, or you can oh, get a so piece of corn in the winter, or you can get um, the uh, what are the the nuts? The um, chestnuts. chestnuts. You can get chestnuts um, cooked right there. I mean, so there's all of those things you might actually those walk bread. by, and they would have the the bread in Wuhan with the that was outside of our building. They, oh yeah, they cooked in the they drum in the thing. thing. Oh yeah. gosh. So I mean, there's there's all of those the street what we call what most people call street food. Um, in the other places we live, those those were all over the place, but they're stinky not in tofu. this area. Oh, oh about, stinky tofu! We don't talk about it's stinky so tofu. It's so yummy, stinky tofu, so good. Don't okay. eat durian. Durian is bad, but stinky tofu is so good. Don't give me that face. It's no, so good. No, it's it smells so good. like garbage you know, you know, on a hot summer's look, day. I have a nice wine here on Winey Monday. Why are we talking about stinky tofu? Oh, it's so good. Hulcher, Hulcher. It's not. It's not so good. Oh, I'm Hulcher. Mayo, mayo, mayo. Don't want that. 
Do not want it. No, it's bad stuff. Bad, bad stuff. Anyway, what else you got before we uh, wrap it up here? That's it. The last question was, are the children fluent in Chinese? Our children started learning some Chinese. Uh, our, our Samantha in our first year here, maybe the first six months, they really tried to learn. Um, but all of their friends at the school wouldn't want, speak to them wouldn't in speak Chinese. It to them in Chinese. They only wanted to speak English with them because they wanted to improve their English. Uh, our son, in fact, made a really good friend when we were in Benshi, and now they're best friends, and they have they talk for hours and hours and hours on Skype, um, and they have for years since we left the city. Um, they have Skype conversations a couple times a month, and so uh, Frank has never really talked to Aaron in, in Mandarin. I probably speak more than anyone in the family, but our daughter does French, and our son was doing Spanish. Um, and then around... Then he defected. Yeah, then he defected. Around the age of 12, uh, I'm not really sure what prompted it, but he decided he wanted to go to Trinity College in Dublin in Ireland uh, and study paleontology there. And so uh, he just started learning Irish on his own. He, he just said, oh, I'm not going to do Spanish anymore. I'm going to do Irish and every day since then, for three years now, um, he's been studying Irish on his own. Uh, we don't have to prompt him to do it. It's just something he enjoys. He watches a, an Irish YouTuber. He watches Irish TV shows. Uh, we have some Irish friends that he still stays in contact with. So it's just his thing. And I figure as long as he's interested in it, why am I going to force him to learn something that he doesn't want to do? I mean, he's around Mandarin or Chinese all the time, so... No, he's around Cantonese. Well, he's around Cantonese. Uh, well, except if for... If he goes outside and talks to the ladies at that If store. he talks to the grannies, they most of the grannies will only speak Cantonese. The, the, Don't talk to the grannies. The younger ladies will speak in Mandarin for us because they assume we can't speak Cantonese, which is a great assumption. Yes, like, it is. I cannot. Cantonese is freaking So the grannies always want to talk to me. I'm not really sure why. Maybe because the children love me so much. But the grannies try to talk to me, and I just look at them like, okay, I don't. I really don't know what you're saying. But I try. I'm, I'm like, you know. I don't understand, I don't get it, I'm sorry, I don't know. And I can say all that in, in Mandarin, but they just keep jabbering on. And I just smile and, and then wave and off I go. FYI to anybody that comes to China, if you say that you don't know something, they will just keep saying it. Right. Just don't don't let it get under your skin. They, they will they will keep working with you until you keep telling them that you don't understand and they won't understand that you're saying that you don't understand but they will keep telling you anyway even though you say it in their language like I can say ting dong booming by I don't know I don't understand I don't I'm not getting it and they'll still talk they'll to still me. try they think that if you say it enough that you're 
going to understand miraculously. Right. Because, you know, that's how it works. That's how <laughs> that's how language acquisition, you know, is take, takes place. <laughs> that's how it works in, in China. Just pound it in enough and they'll get just it. keep saying it and just, eventually you'll get it. Just keep swimming. <laughs> so no, the children, the children don't. They don't speak it fluently. All right, well, anybody who has more questions, just ask. You can. We will, we will keep addressing whatever we need to address. We will be continuing on our list. We've got... Oh, man, we only have one. We've only one done, done one. Yeah. One done of, of list stuff. And that was only our number ones. Right. We have... We have only... We did, we did another thing in... Macau. Macau was just my random rant. That's and what it was. That that's I wasn't there. That was that was my random rant. It, I mostly ranted in Macau. I kind of don't remember. It was after the bank, the after for the dinner, and those people were just they ate so much and they were so. Uh, when we went to, in the hotel. In the hotel. Anyway, my so we have rant. Macau and then we have this one. So we'll be doing some more. And, uh, yeah, my list only has, you know, more than 16. Yours has Don't talk about the list. The list will take care of itself. Next time we have to do a couple things off the list, we'll let down. The problem is our list keeps growing as, <laughs> as we knock these things out. The list gets longer. So we'll just, we'll just keep going. And I'm sure once the children get home, we'll have to have a conversation with them. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Peace, love, and hair grease. Bye-bye. Hey, if you want to hear more, please check us out on Facebook, The Traveling Fars. Our email is the just travelingfars at gmail.com. Our website, The Traveling Fars, at blueberry.net. Twitter and Instagram are coming soon. And thanks for listening! <laughs>